James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. In honor of God's holy word, please stand for the reading of the scriptures. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth in the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. How many of you remember the game Simon Says? See some hands? Game played growing up where the kids would come together. One child in particular would be the caller who is Simon. If you're a female, you don't want to be Simon, you can go by Simone. (laughs) But they would be the caller. And everyone else would listen. And they have to say, the caller has to say the key phrase, Simon says. If the key phrase was said, what will follow is some sort of action or a command that is given. And the way you play is that you would hear Simon says, you would hear the command, and you would do it. Simon says, jump. You begin to jump. Simon says, touch your ear. You begin to touch your ear. It required that you listen intently and respond correctly. Now, sometimes a caller would want to trick you up. They would not say the key phrase, Simon says, but they would just tell you some sort of action. And if you just did that action, you would be out. Because, again, the key phrase is Simon says. The game requires hearing and heeding, listening and responding. That is the way that you win the game. Some of you probably want to go home and play it. But transitioning from trivial matters to spiritual matters in a very similar sense and with more importance and urgency, we who are Christians, we're to be a people who are marked by listening and obeying, hearing and heeding. It's not necessarily Simon says but it's what our Savior says. It's what Scripture says. Seeing that our Savior has loved us and saved us as he died on the cross and rose from the grave, seeing that by God's grace we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, our response is to submit to him as he is our Lord and our Savior. We hear what the Scriptures say and we heed it because we love Jesus. 
The reality is our actions stem from our affections. So if Jesus has our heart, our actions would follow. They would show it. If the Lord has our affections and our attention, it will be evident in our actions. We will obey. James is getting at that very thing in this morning's passage. He is making known that genuine faith, it is not evidenced in mere hearing God's Word. It is evidenced in hearing and heeding, listening and responding, obeying because we love God, seeing that our actions stem from our affections. And so our big idea for this morning's passage is this, since Christ has saved you, continually receive and obey God's Word. Since Christ has saved you, continually receive and obey God's Word. Two points for us from this morning's text. Pretty straightforward. The first one is receive the Word. Secondly, Respond to it rightly. Receive the word and respond to it rightly. So last week, James, we looked at verses 13 to 18 in chapter 1, and James concluded talking about the good gifts that come from God, that God is a good God and he only gives good gifts. And in verse 18, he begins to unpack the greatest gift that you and I have ever received, those of us who are in Christ, and that is salvation by the grace of God. We have been born again through the Holy Spirit. We have believed the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we've become first fruits of the new creation. Beloved, this new birth is to lead to a new way of living. New birth leads to new life. So how are we to live? Well, the first thing we're to do is we're to receive the word. Look at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James begins with words of deep and dear affection for this congregation. He loves these people as they're his brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, being made a family through the gospel of Christ. And before he begins to give these exhortations, he's reminding them of his affection for them. You know, as we read the book of James, many people would conclude that James doesn't hold punches, and he doesn't. He gives a whole lot of commands, but it's easy to overlook the reality that the commands are given in love. His instruction is drenched in love. Over 12 times in this book, he says, brothers and sisters, he is talking to family. And multiple times, he says, my dear, or if you have the ESV, my beloved, brothers and sisters. So he begins to give the exhortation. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That our lives are to be marked by living this type of way. Living in love. 
And the very reason is because we are not who we used to be. We have been born again by the power of the Spirit. We've been born of God. We are now children of God, and so we are to reflect the very character of our Father. Beloved, God is quick to listen. He listens and hears and heeds every prayer of his people. He commands us to pour out our hearts before him to pray about everything, and guess what he does when we pray? I can tell you now, he doesn't cut us off. He gives us his full and undivided attention. As we sung in all praise to him, he bends his ear to hear our every prayer. And God is also slow to anger. This is one of the very first things he revealed about himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where it says, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. The very next phrase says that he is slow to anger. Contrary to what many unbelievers believe, God is not quick-tempered, nor does he have a short fuse. God is slow to anger. His anger is certainly aroused in response to sin, but he is slow to pouring out his judgment. He is patient. And many of us, we know it from experience. We who are in Christ, God has every right to judge us after the very first sin we've committed. And yet he did it. We sin against God so many times in one day. And he doesn't condemn us. Before Christ saved us, day after day, year after year, God was being slow to anger. And not only that, beloved, he poured out his anger not on we who deserve it, but upon his very own son, satisfying his justice, his judgment because of Jesus' death in our place. Here, James, here he exhorts us to reflect God's character. As Christians, we are to be the best listeners, those who are not cutting people off but hearing people out and hearing their hearts. We're to be the ones who are slow to speak because we know how powerful our words are. Our words aren't as powerful as God's. He created by his word. He sustains by his word. He saves by his word. He also makes known in his word that our words are very powerful. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And as Christians, we know that, and so we're to be careful with what we say. We want to be charitable with our speech. We want to speak in ways that are helpful to those who are listening. We're to be a people who are slow to anger knowing that we will be sinned against, knowing that some things may frustrate us, and yet we're to exercise self-control, refusing to succumb to our anger. This is contrary to our fallen nature, seeing that sin is deeply ingrained in us, and because we are sinners, we're constantly only focused on the self. We are prone to do the very opposite, being slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick 
to get angry. We see it all around us. In this society, it is prevalent to be quick to cut off, to cut up, and pop off. But James is saying that that shouldn't be common or prevalent in the church, among the saints. That's what happens in the culture, but that is not what is to happen in the church. Because we are citizens of God's kingdom, saved by the grace of God. As one author would say, the church is to be an outpost of heaven. And seeing that we are citizens of God's kingdom, our lifestyle should be marked by that heavenly kingdom, one of love and holiness. And there is no love of being quick to speak. There is no love in being slow to listen. There is no love in being quick to anger. You talk about being slow to anger. Notice that James doesn't say don't get angry, but he says to be slow to anger. The reality is we will witness egregious sins like murder and oppression, and those things should provoke in us some sort of anger in light of what is going on. We will experience persecution. We will experience hardship. We will experience some of these being sinned against in egregious ways. May provoke anger, and yet Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 to be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. James is telling us to be slow to anger because we know the destruction that will come if we were to give into it. How many relationships have been ruined because one has succumbed to their anger? Marriages, relationship between parents and children, relationships between roommates or coworkers. Beloved, our Human anger is so destructive. James tells us to be slow to anger. So the question for us, beloved, is, is your life marked by this way of living? Being quick to listen. Being slow to speak. Being slow to anger. James goes on to give the reason in verse 20, he says, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. See, James' concern as well as ours should be God's will being done. See, that he is our father, he is the king. When he says human anger, it does not accomplish God's just purposes or his ways. Human anger leads to destruction. It dishonors God. And in every circumstance, as those who have been saved by God, our desire should be for God to be glorified. We want His will to be done. So, beloved, for those who you interact with, who annoy you, and you are tempted to pop off, it would be good for us to memorize James 1, 19 to 20. To memorize it, to meditate on it, to pray in light of it, and to obey it. Now, I get some of you may be like, man, pastor, you just don't know who I'm dealing with. Because if you did, you wouldn't be exhorting me towards that. I'm like, you're right. I don't know who exactly you're dealing with. 
But I do know that you've sinned against God in more ways than you can count. I do know that God has been slow to anger towards us. I do know that God has been abundantly kind towards us. And so in light of that kindness, in light of that love, we are to be a people who reflect that towards others. Because no one has sinned against us in more ways than we've sinned against God. So seeing that we live in this body of flesh, we are... He gives us another exhortation. Look at verse 21. He says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We are in Christ, and this body still has sin in us, and the sin is perverse. It is ugly. It runs deep. James tells us to rid ourselves of all moral filth. The moral filth here likely refers to Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, where Joshua the high priest, in his robes, he was covered with sin, filth, nastiness, vileness. And yet God in his grace cleansed him. And God in Christ has done the very same thing for all who are in Christ Jesus. He has cleansed us. Not only that, he has clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so seeing that God has done that for us, how are we to live now? We're to ongoingly put off the sins that belong to our old nature because that is not us. The sin is excessive. It is pervasive. And so we ongoingly do this until the day when our sanctification is complete. We put off and we put on. You know, my wife and I, a couple of times a year, we like to clean out our closet. And as we go through our old clothes, we're looking through it, and we're definitely getting rid of the stuff that just ain't our style. You know, whether we got it as a gift, or it don't even matter if we just got it for Christmas. If it ain't our style, it's only going to be there for a little bit, and then we're getting rid of it. We're getting rid of those clothes, and we're going to replace it with new clothes that we will, we will actually rock. The brothers and sisters, seeing that Christ has saved you, we are to constantly put off the old man because that ain't you anymore. That's not your style, seeing that God has made you new in Christ. What we are to actually do is put on his righteousness, his holiness, and pr- pattern our lives after Jesus, our Savior. James gives us another exhortation. He says, get rid of this. And he says, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We're to ongoingly welcome the good news, the very word of truth that has saved us. The gospel, that seed has been implanted in us and the roots run deep. And by God's grace, it bears good fruit. James not only exhorts us to receive the word, but notice the posture by which we are to receive it. Look at the verse. Humbly receive the implanted word. Our posture is to be one of humility, where we are constantly welcoming the word without dispute, without objection, and without rejection. The words of John Calvin about, about this verse He says that we are to 
be disposed to learn from God and have a prompt readiness to obey Him. We're to receive the Word with humility. What that means is that we don't treat the gospel the same way we treat news from our least favorite news station. We don't have a closed mind towards God's Word. We don't look for loopholes or think that it's wrong or think that the writers have ulterior motives. Instead, we're to be more eager to receive this Word than we are eager to receive the words of our favorite influencers. You know what you do? You listen to their podcasts, you read their books, you watch their, new to, their YouTube channels. You're welcoming their word. Now, if we're doing that with our favorite influencers, then how much more should we do that with God? His eternal word. His word is food for our souls. It has saved us, and it satisfies us even now. It sanctifies us and continues to strengthen us in the faith. Beloved, there is absolutely nothing like God's word. It is categorically in a league of his own. James gets at that when he says, which is able to save your souls. There is no other word that is able to save your soul, but God's word can do that. Behold the power of the word. The good news that has saved us when we first believe has the very power to continue to save us even now as we believe. Now one may wonder, well, how is that possible, Pastor? seeing that we have been saved. So what he means by the fact that it is able to save your soul now, how is that possible? We've just been saved. Great question. If you survey the Scriptures, you will see that the word salvation, it is spoken of in three verb tenses, past, present, and future. Past, we have been saved by the grace of God and we believed in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Titus chapter 3, verse 4, we've been delivered from judgment, we've been delivered from sin's imprisonment, and even now in the present tense, we are being saved, being delivered from sin's power and growing in our salvation. It gets at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and even in this passage, there's also a future sense for our salvation, that on that final day, We will be freed from sin's presence, and we will experience our salvation in full. Peter gets at this in 1 Peter 1, verse 5. In this verse, James is talking about the present experience, to where we have it now and we are to grow in our salvation. It's important for us to know that the way that we grow in it is contingent upon us receiving the word. That's what he says in his verse, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow into your salvation. Is that word that we have embraced, it is as we regularly embrace it, God sanctifies us. The very word of God has transforming power. Which is why we encourage the personal spiritual disciplines to get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into you so that the Spirit of God can use the Word of God to conform you more into the image of Christ. Beloved, if we're going to grow, we got to receive the Word. 
You want to grow in holiness? You got to receive the word. You want to grow in love? You got to receive the word. You want to fight your sin? You got to receive the word. We are too weak and sin is too pervasive for us to do it on our own, but God's word is so powerful. It has transforming power. We who have trusted in Jesus have experienced it our very own selves. And as we receive this word, we continue to grow more in Christ-likeness. Friends, if you're here this day and you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here. I want you to know that this passage has many exhortations, and you may even be tempted to want to put them to practice. I want to encourage you. There's one exhortation for you this very day. It is to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. To believe that the Son of God has become man, that he has died for sins, that he resurrected from the grave, and that all who trust in him are forgiven, are saved, and are washed clean by his blood. That is your exhortation. Believe in Jesus. Because the Christian message is not clean up yourself and then Jesus will accept you. The Christian message is receive Christ who cleanses all who trust in him. If you want, you can talk with any members after service. We love to have these conversations. Beloved, James exhorts us to humbly receive the word. The question is, how are you doing in receiving the word? Do you prioritize it the same way that James talks about it? It is able to save your soul. Do you cherish it? Are you continually receiving it? Beloved, may we be a people who do so. May we receive the word and embrace it by faith. Go to our next point. May we respond rightly to it. You know, hearing the word, it is very important. Back then, they would hear the word, and they'd hear it explained in synagogues, in the corporate gathering. Hearing the word is important, but mere hearing it isn't enough. We have to do more than just hear the word. James goes on in verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. got to do more than just hear it. We have to respond to it. And the proper response is obedience, applying it to our very own lives. As Pastor John got at this very morning, before the call to worship, worship is this ongoing rhythm of revelation and response. God reveals himself through the scriptures. He is summoning us towards a particular action. And the proper action is to respond with faith and obedience to the commands that he has given us. To respond in faith in light of who he is and what he, has commands, and what he does and what he's commanded of us. There is a right and a wrong response. 
James says that mere hearing it and only hearing it and nothing else is the wrong response. Beloved, the Bible, it is not that reductionistic acronym of basic instructions before leaving earth. There is nothing basic about the Bible. It is the very words of the living God. It is active. And as we hear it, we are to respond. God has revealed himself. God has revealed his saving work in Jesus Christ. God has also revealed how we as his people are to live in response to his saving work. We're to be doers. Think about the great command. Love God with your entire being. That is a command. It looks great. You put it on your wall and decorations. It looks cool on coffee mugs. If you want to give one to a dad on Father's Day, happy Father's Day, I get it. It looks good on, if you put it on a coffee mug. It, it, look, it also looks good if you put it on a shirt. But what God wants us to put it is that you put it to practice. And you don't just put it as decorations. You don't just put it on your shirt, but don't put it to practice because to do that is to fall short of the commands and will of God. He's telling us to be doers of his word. But it is possible to be a mere hearer, to hear and not heed, to not internalize or apply. And James says that if one does that, that is self-deception. They are deceiving themselves to think that all it means to be a Christian is to only hear the word. It is self-deception and false to conclude that Christians are just those who have a daily quiet time and come to church. As important as those things are, and they are very important. Christians do these things. We read the word. We gather together in obedience to God's command. We do this that we may receive the word. And it's for a purpose to obey. To do only reading and hearing, but not heeding, is to be self-deceived. You can do this and be an unbeliever. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? They heard his teaching. They even confessed his identity. But notice what they didn't do. They didn't submit. They didn't obey. Their lack of actions showed that Jesus didn't have their affections. You know, I got three kids, four, three, and one, and we have taught them to obey us, and we actually gave a definition. You know, obey is what mommy and daddy say right away, all the way, and with a loving heart. We made sure they got it. And so they can recite it to us anytime. And so we, we taught them that, 
before we begin to give them instructions so that they can know how they are to respond to the instructions we give. And so anytime that mommy and daddy gives a command, hey, instruct, hey, do this, they know that they are to do it right away and all the way and with a loving heart. To disobey shows that we don't have their affections in that moment. And so, man, when I give an instruction to my kids and they don't act upon it, I come back, I circle back. I'll be like, hey, did you, you hear what I said? I'm like, yeah, yes, sir. I, sometimes I even ask them to repeat it for me. What did I say? Let me say, clean up. And I say, what is obey? Mommy and daddy say right away, all the way. They're still missing a loving heart, but they got mommy and daddy say right away, all the way. I'm like, yeah, but you ain't obeying. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Something is off. <laughs> I've given the command. I expect obedience to my command. I don't care if you're able to recite what I said or, re- or repeat the definition of obey. What I really want is for you to obey. And beloved, that's how God is with us right now. It's great to to hear the command. It's great to even be able to repeat the command. It's great to even know where the command comes from in the Bible. But to do all that and not heed it is to fall short of God's purposes, his plan, his will for us. He loves us. His commands are not burdensome. They are for our good. And what he expects is for us to respond to him with love. And that love is depicted through obedience. Children, if you are in here, you know, your parents, they want you to obey them. They teach you to obey. They give commands, and it is for your good. In fact, the very reason why they teach you about God is so that you can know him, love him, and obey him to trust in him and submit to him because God wants his children to love and obey him. James, he goes on. He gives a picture of what the hearer is like. Look at verse 23 and 24. He says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. So the one who is a hearer, he looks at the mirror. Now, mirrors back then are different than how they are today, but you could still see your image, a reflection. James goes on, describes this person, this, this person who is a mere hearer. He looked in the mirror. He saw the crust around his eyes that very morning. He or she saw the toothpaste stain on the corner of their lips. They saw their hair being uncombed. They saw the stain on their shirt. And what they do? They go away and forgot it. I don't know about you, but i tell you what I would have done. If I look in a mirror... I see crust on my eyes, stains on my lip, hair all messed up, stain on my shirt. I am doing something about it. 
okay, because your boy ain't trying to go out looking like a hot mess. But the mere hearer, the mere hearer sees, and the scripture says that they forget. The problem isn't what they saw. The problem is how they responded to what they saw. They did absolutely nothing. Merely hearing the word. The scriptures, they reveal who God is, his purposes, his work of salvation. They also serve as a mirror revealing the real us to us. They expose the reality that we are sinners. They point us to our need for the Savior. The scriptures are instructive. Paul say this in 2 Timothy, he says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness. The hearer hears the word, they hear the, the instruction, they never respond with repentance and faith. No bowing down in contrition, no actual adoration and worship of the triune God who has revealed himself. And their response is actually evidence of unbelief. No affections. They hear but don't heed. You know, the hearer is like Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers who's a known deist. He had a really good relationship with George Whitfield, who's an evangelist. He's part of the Great Awakening. I have my issues with George Whitfield, and one thing is that he was a gifted gospel preacher. In fact, Ben Franklin loved to hear Whitfield preach. He thoroughly enjoyed the message, but the problem is he only heard the message. He never responded to the command to repent and believe in Jesus. He would love to hear uh, Whitfield preach about Jesus, but he didn't love Jesus, and he didn't respond to tr with trusting in Jesus. That's what mere hearers do. James, he exhorts us, he says, but be doers of the word. Genuine faith, it is evidenced by hearing and heeding, listening and obeying, and it's all motivated by love. It is not to put God in your debt, but it is in response to the God who has paid your debt by sending his own son. It's important for us to know that being a doer is not the basis of saving faith. It is the result, the consequence, the fruit of saving faith. So where we love Christ and we live for him. It's important for us to know that the word faith, it is more than an intellectual acknowledgement of the truths of Christianity. It is that, but it is more than that. It's what some theologians would call an obedient trust. Hearing and submitting. Jesus expects us to have this type of response to him as his followers. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. So we're listening and responding in faith. David Platt would say it this way, Christ did not give us options to consider, but commands to obey. The Truth and Grace Catechism, 
question, how do you glorify God? The answer is by loving him and doing what he commands. Christians are doers of the word. By God's grace, we put to practice the precepts that we see in Scripture. And as we obey, we actually reflect Christ. Scripture says that he obeyed the Father, for he loved to do the Father's will. It was his very food. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How you doing, beloved? We cherish the word as we see, like the psalmist in Psalm 119. We don't want to forget it. We want to do it. And we know that God's commands are not burdensome. The Christian's engagement with the Scriptures is that we hear the Word, we read the Word, we study the Word, we memorize the Word, we meditate on the Word, and it's all for a particular purpose. That we may know God, that we may love God, and that we may obey God. That's why we do it. Know, love, and obey God in response to him revealing himself, in response to his work of salvation. As Christians, we are not to have this allergic reaction to commands to obey. It is to be a joy to submit ourselves to God's commands, knowing that they come from a good God who loves us. Knowing that our obedience actually demonstrates our love and faith in Christ. So, beloved, how are you doing in your approach to the Word? How are you doing in responding to the Word? James goes on to show, explain that we show our faith by our obedience. He contrasts between the hearer and the doer, and the key difference is the response. Look at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and it perseveres in it, It is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Like the hearer, they look. The hearer looks into the mirror. The doer is looking into the perfect law of freedom. But unlike the hearer, he responds. He perseveres. He works. He obeys. People may get tripped up by this perfect law of freedom. I don't want to. We shouldn't dare reduce this to merely being the law of Moses because the law of Moses doesn't liberate anybody. It exposes our sin and shows our need for Christ who is the fulfillment of the law. I believe here that the perfect law of freedom is the very word that is spoken of in verse 18 and verse 21 and verse 22 and verse 23. That the gospel, it is teaching that brings about freedom for those who trust in Jesus. And the very word that has saved us, that word is still saving us, and it liberates us to where by faith we fulfill the law of love. It's part of the experience of the new covenant promises that God has made. When we say, here, forgive our sins. He give us a new heart. He put his spirit within us. He put his law on our hearts. And so now by God's grace, through the power of the spirit, as we persevere, believing the gospel, we now get to walk in love towards our very brothers and sisters. 
James says that we hear, we meditate, we apply, we persevere out of a love for Jesus. And as we do this, there is a blessing at the very end. He says in verse 25, this person will be blessed in what he does. James is echoing the very words of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. By God's grace, as we obey, there is more joy, more peace. There is a clear conscience. As we persevere in faith, one day we're going to hear the great commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Beloved, how are you doing in responding to the word with obedience? Does your life serve as a witness to you? That you are a hearer or a doer. If you're being convicted this very morning, I want to remind you of the truth that God revealed himself in Exodus chapter 34, that he is merciful and gracious, that he is slow to anger, that God is quick to forgive, that Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover the sin of everybody who is trusted in him. So, beloved, if you are convicted, my encouragement to you would be to repent, to turn from being a mere hearer, to pray for God to help you by his grace to be a doer of the word, to ask other church members to help you in this, because it is our responsibility to help one another grow in Christ. That is part of our covenant obligations that we have committed to one another. A good prayer to pray as you pray through the membership directory is this. As you pray for members, pray that God, in response to your grace, help this member be a doer. And encourage one another in obedience, motivated by love in full response to the gospel of Christ. Beloved, we are to hear and heed what the scriptures say. We are to hear and heed what our Savior say. We listen intently and we respond correctly because we love him in response to his love for us, knowing that our actions stem from our affections. And that he is worthy of our whole heart. May we do that. Let's pray.